Greetings, everyone. I am Isha Das, the spiritual director of the Assisi Institute in Rochester, New York. And I want to welcome you to another podcast in the series, Wrestling with God. And let me just introduce our podcast today with the following questions. Is there a God? Is there a reality behind the word God? Or is it just some sort of intellectual proposition? Is there a force, a power that emanates from the reality behind the word, from God? Simply, is there a higher power that can help to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, namely to restore us individually and collectively to sanity? To help us wrestle with those questions, I have a wonderful guest today, Chris Knuth. And I don't know if I can do the introduction justice. Chris was raised a Mormon and had a very interesting and colorful life early on. And I'll let him describe that as far as he wants to do that. And in, I think, the year 2014, Chris, you kind of hit a bottom, a big bottom. Mm-hmm. And you discovered the 12 steps that are common to Alcoholics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, Al-Anon. And uh, many of you know that Father Richard Rohr, Franciscan priest, is a spiritual mentor and father figure to me. And one time he said to me that he really believed that the 12 steps were America's unique contribution to world spirituality. So Chris is very steeped in the 12 steps and has gone deeper than I think most people have. He's also been initiated into Kriya Yoga. And he also, and I want to just check my notes and make sure I get this right, Chris. He, he and his wife went to Uganda for a month and they worked in a program serving people called You Touch. When he got back, he started an NGO in Africa teaching people technical skills and technical trades like mechanics, etc. And then when COVID kicked in, he started a program, another not-for-profit here in the United States, helping veterans and incarcerated people to learn a trade and to be able to be self-supporting in a healthy way. So to me, he lives the words of Jesus. All men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And his goal is to have this non-for-profit training program in all 50 states and 35 countries. So Chris, it's wonderful to have you with us today. And what do you want to add or fill out in terms of the introduction? Mm. Well, first, I'd like to uh, say thank you for the opportunity to uh, to be here with you today. And um, very grateful for the opportunity. Um, what do I have to say about the introduction? Well, I think you said it very well. Um, I'm sure we'll fill in some of the, some of the gaps, but um, you know, life happened to me. Life happens to all of us, and it's through really looking back on life that we can really see how beautiful it is. Um, it's not always to see in the moment, uh, but my experience has been when we can look back and we can take time like this to to really acknowledge where God has shown up, where, where has God been through this whole process? And um, yeah, it's just really, it's, it's amazing. And every time um, I go there, just, it just brings me more gratitude and more peace and more trust. 
Well, let me ask you this question. We're going to hit the ground running, okay? You use the word God. And for many people, my experience is what the word God means is kind of fuzzy, all right? Mm -hmm. Uh, do we mean a superhero in the sky, a demigod in the sky? Do we mean an old man or queen sitting on a throne up in the heavens? Or is it just a propositional cognitive intellectual statement? So I, I know your experience of God, your experience of, of the divine is much more than that. So when you talk about God, can you begin to tell us what that means to you and what your experience of the divine is and how it's impacted your life? That's a big question. Yes, we, we're uh, we're jumping into the deep end of the pool. <laughs> yes, I don't know any other way to do it. My wife <laughs> would tell you this. <laughs> that's good. Um, well, that's a great question. So um, I think God is all of that. I think God is um, beyond the mind. So you know, I'm not sure we have the the tools and equipment to really comprehend um, the totality of God. So I think that as long as we're able to start somewhere, and for me, it was acknowledging that there, that there may be a power greater than Chris. And there's evidence of that all over the place. Because if I decided when fall came that I'd like to have green leaves on the trees throughout the winter, well, if I had the power, I could make that happen. Well, I don't know that that's possible. And everybody I've asked, they don't know if it's possible either. So this is telling me that there is some intelligence that has more ability and more capacity to, to create and to change and evolve than I have the power to do. And so that kind of got me started on this concept of God. And that's one thing I really like about the 12 steps is they ask us to choose a God of our own conception. And many of us are raised with an idea of God that's not ours. So I would encourage people to look at that and ask yourself, you know, do I believe others' ideas and concepts of God? Or is there something for me that maybe I haven't discovered yet? And it's that curiosity that keeps us seeking. And I've seen the seeking throughout my whole life. It's looked kind of crazy uh, at different times. But looking back, knowing what I know now, I can see that through all these experiences, I was seeking a God. All right, good. So let me just pick up on a couple of things that you said and, and see where we go with it. You talked about God being beyond the mind. And what I like to say to people is that the mind was made to understand creation, not the creator. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that we can't know the creator, but we know the creator first and foremost as an experience. Maybe as Yogananda said, it starts out as an intuition, but then it's an interior knowing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really that, you know, it's true of all relationships. I have concepts about my wife, let's say but I only know her in being with her and in experiencing her. So I, I like what you said about God. The second thing, you use the word power. So I'm, I'm making an assumption. So part of, and then I'd like you to comment on that. 
part of your experience of God is a power is a force. <laughs> it's a momentum. It's something, it's a dynamic energy. Mm -hmm. How has that powerful force, that dynamic energy impacted your life? Mm. It's, it's easy to think that life is happening to us. We're victims of these circumstances. Um, we're born into families that, you know, the mind might not have chosen. And so here we are, we're in situations, um, we experience trauma, we experience um, hardship, and it's easy to start to identify with those things. And when, when I'm identified with my problems, with situations, with how people are treating me, with the roles that I play in, in the world, I find that it's easy to adopt this mindset of powerlessness and that we, you know, it just is the way it is. Well, what I've found is as I started to tap into this power, it, it is a momentum and it starts out a little at a time. <clears throat> and the more that I experience this power in my life, the more I start to become empowered. And it, in the, the big book says, God does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And what I think that means is we have to set those things aside. <clears throat> and we have to be open for, to having a new experience. And I believe that the same power, the same God that was in Yogananda and the great ones is, is the same God that's within me. And so when I look to people that I see have access to power, it, it makes me want to know what they know. It makes me want to experience what they've experienced. And that's what's kept me growing in this understanding, in this ex going from a theoretical idea of a God to an experiential um, knowledge of God. All right, so I just want to pick up on, I, I like what you said, that the, the, this higher power empowers you. In some circles in today's culture, the word power is like a four-letter word. <laughs> yeah. But it's not, this empowering is not, and I'd like you to comment on this. My, my own experience is when it's true, when we're really tapping into God in a pure way, to a higher power in a pure way, it does empower us not to have power over others, but it empowers us to overcome our limitation, our natural limitations, and it empowers us to be the best version of ourselves, which then in turn, we become a light in the darkness. We become a, a good force in the world. Does that make sense to your own, in terms of your own experience? Oh, yes. And along with the empowerment comes a, a humbling as well. Like you mentioned, having power over people. My experience is the more empowered I become, the less power I want to have over people. It's this, it's this interesting dynamic. Um, well, what you're, what you're describing is a paradox. Correct. That the more we tap into 
the intelligence, the grace, the power that runs the universe, it empowers us, but it also makes us more humble. Yes. And then secondly, and I think this is what you were saying, um, we then let go of things that we really don't have power over like other people. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's important to look back on, on how this power starts to grow and, and it's, I mentioned earlier, life is happening to us or life can be happening for us. Right. I used to see my problems as, you know, why is this happening? Why does this keep happening? And, and it's, it's through reframing the questions in, in the internal dialogue that I have. It's like, well, why is this happening? Maybe I should be open to having a new experience with challenges in my life. Maybe they are opportunities for growth. My experience has also been that there are opportunities to trust and rely on this power more. Because when I take my will back and I start to create plans and I start to manipulate the external world to look a certain way, I've never found peace and happiness in that. And then it's hard to get out of bed every day because it's like, oh, here I go, you know, back to work, back to this, back to that. But when I remain in this power and in this curiosity of where this power is going to take me, then when challenges come into my life, it's almost a little bit exciting. It's like, oh, huh, I wonder how this situation is going to work through. And, and my mind doesn't have to try to figure it out. I know that I only have to eat the elephant one bite at a time. So let me take one bite now. I'll take another bite tomorrow. And before I know it, I'm on the other side of whatever it is, experience that I had. And then I can see the lessons. And that's where I start to experience gratitude. And, I, and then I don't have fear of problems. Because I think our, our culture, particularly here in the U.S., is when bad things come, we need to push them away. We need to resist them. We want what's good. We don't want what's bad. We're in this habit of labeling all these things. You know, for instance, like, you know, you get a sore throat. What's the first thing you do? You run to the store and you get some things to cover it up, you know, to, to make the symptoms go away. And that's the same thing when uh, in relationships or with anger or any of these emotions, they come, we want to push them away instead of experiencing them and letting them flow through us. And I find that when we do that, we start living in this, we start living in acceptance. And when I'm living in acceptance, then life just is what it is. And my eyes are open to possibilities. My eyes are open to things that I wasn't able to see before. That's, that's good. You know, uh, uh, many years ago, and I think this is, in, again, in the spirit of what you're saying, a mentor said this to me, never ask why when something happens that just engages the ego and the mind. And it's like, it's just this loop that is never fulfilled, never completed. It just keeps on cycling. Instead of asking why, ask what? What is the lesson here? What can I do? What is the challenge? Uh, how can I grow from this? And what I always tell people, particularly as I just go through my day-to-day -day life, if I'm in a sticky situation, particularly if it involves other people, I will stop and go inside, take a deep breath, and I do this little prayer. What is the most intelligent and loving thing I can do in this moment? 
And it's really amazing. There is a, a consciousness that begins to flow, that higher power, that higher mind begins to, to guide us and to instruct us. So clearly you are deeply into everything that you're saying. How, how do you... How do you nurture that? How do you grow that? Mm. How do you grow this conscious contact with your higher power, this conscious contact with God? The first two to three hours of every day, are, that's my time. So I make time for myself. So for instance, if I have to leave my house at eight o'clock in the morning, I'm up by six o'clock. And I, and I do it this way so that I don't get stuck in a routine. I, I know that every day I'm going to have my time. Most days it's in the morning. Some days it's in the evening. Sometimes it's in the middle of the day. I've learned to be flexible with this. But there are two, there are three main tools, if you will, that I use. Um, I'm big on journaling. Journaling for me, I call it emptying the trash can. It's where I get to take out the garbage. There's something that happens when pen goes to paper that I, I'm able to process things in a different way. It's different than thinking about things. A lot of people that I work with say, you know, I, I need to go somewhere and think. Okay. Well, what I find is the mind is constantly just recycling. It recycles thoughts, beliefs, you know, all conditioning, all these things. I found that when I journal, it actually stops that feedback loop and it allows it to be released somehow. I never read my journals. Actually, I read one from 2014 uh, when I was cleaning out my bookshelf and that was, that blew my mind. Like you would not believe like the person I was and the things I was thinking back then versus now are completely different. Um, so I love to journal. I think it's a really useful exercise and a lot of people say i don't know how to start i don't know how to get going it sounds kind of like a weird thing to do i just ask questions like why did i get so upset at my wife yesterday over some cookies and i write the answer and then i ask myself why i keep asking myself why and i and i it's like pulling a string we, I pull the string till I get the end, to the end of it. And what I find at the end of the string is fear. There's some sort of fear. I'm not going to get what I want. Someone's going to have control over me. Uh, it, you know, you name it. But typically at the end of the string is fear. The other thing I do is I study, um, I study sacred texts. Um, I've read, I have a pretty extensive library. Um, so I got a lot of knowledge and now what I've really done is sifted through that. And there are really just a handful of books that I reread. And what I find is that these books that are, that are meant to transmit an experience, not just knowledge, but also an experience. Every time I go into them, I'm a different person. I'm in a different place in, in these books, in these texts, will speak to me to where I'm at today. And then of course, meditation and Kriya Yoga, that has enabled me to go beyond the mind. It's enabled me to 
to see that there's more to consciousness than what I can see with my eyes and what I can experience in the material world. And so all these things took discipline to get started. You know, self-will is an amazing force, but it can only take us so far. And I think it can take us into habits that are bad for us. I mean, it can also take us into habits that are good for us. And then once we get established in our routine and we find our path, it, then we can start to let things fall away. And then I, I believe that simplicity has, is, is really the key. I find that the truth is always simple and easy to understand. And I don't need to complicate it with overthinking. So those are just a few of the things that I use. And I also, I, I work with others, um, you know, not only in the 12 steps, but I, I teach a class um, called Getting Out of Our Own Way. And this is in an, in an entrepreneur's group. And um, that's been a really amazing experience. I've been teaching that class since November of last year. And the more I work with others, the more I find we're all the same. You know, human beings really aren't that complicated. We have certain needs and and how we go about getting them met is where things get complicated. But when we distill these things down to their most simple and pure form, we're pretty easy to figure out. And um, yeah, so those things have helped me tremendously. I could, I wanna, that's great. I wanna pick up on a, a couple of themes. The first one is reading um, sacred texts. And again, you know, these podcasts tend to reach a younger, crowd. I call it the 40 and under crowd. And I think and it's not just the 40 and under crowd. I think it's our culture in general. We've become increasingly secular mm -hmm. um, and we've lost the sense of the sacred. And therefore we've lost an appreciation for sacred texts, uh, texts written by saints and sages. Mm -hmm. And the Christians have their versions. You know, the, the, the Hindus have theirs. But at some level, these sacred texts are really communicating, like you said, an experience. They're communicating pure truth to us, all of which are aspects of God and all of which that are empowering. Uh, I'd like to say it this way, that uh, we'll just say Paramahansa Yogananda, who brought Kriya Yoga to the United States. Uh, I have a really deep friendship with him. And people say, well, how do you have a deep friendship with him? Well, I read his writings. I know what his mind is. Mm -hmm. I know what he thought. I know what he, at some level, what he experienced. At least I have a sense of it. Mm -hmm. um, so that when we read these sacred texts, just like you said, they have the effect of elevating us. We are communing. We are developing a friendship with these saints and sages, these enlightened beings. And then we get carried to a new level of consciousness. And it's very simple, even if it's five minutes a day, read something from the Bible, from the Bhagavad Gita, etc. cetera. Um, and like yourself, I have maybe three books now, sacred texts or the writings of Yogananda and a couple of other ones that I go to and are my, my source. So I love that. Can you say a little bit more? Because I like what you said that meditation takes you beyond, beyond the mind. How does that work for you? Hmm. Um, I have uh, I first tried meditation back in 2006 <clears throat> and 
it was torture. It wasn't fun. And I, I remember the instructor seemed to be having fun and enjoying meditation. And I did not see how that was possible. And so uh, just here and there until, uh, until I got to the 12 steps uh, in 2013, 14, um, I kind of dabbled in meditation and I didn't understand it. I had a lot of ideas of what I thought it was and um, none of them were really appealing to me. And then um, in the 11th step uh, of the big book, it, you know, it says, you know, to improve our conscious contact with God through prayer and meditation. And so, uh, of course, I tried to meditate and it didn't work still, <laughs> like nothing miraculously changed. And then um, I got to a point in my recovery work where I kind of felt like I had plateaued. You know, when I, I called doing the steps and doing the inventory it's like carrying a, a heavy backpack filled with rocks and through the steps and through therapy as well you know uh, couples therapy individual therapy I, I started to take the rocks out of the backpack and as I took them out I would look at them from many different angles and and well yeah I guess I don't need that and I toss them out and that lightens the load considerably but still what happened is I, I, you know, I was working with others. I was doing everything. I thought that this program entails and I still, there was still something missing. And um, through a friend of mine, I heard him talking. He, he just said this phrase, he said, Yogananda and the great ones. That's all I heard him say. And then uh, after he left, I started doing some research and um I just Googled Yogananda and all this. And um, I ended up remembering, I live in Encinitas, California, where there's a pretty large and well-known SRF um, retreat. Uh, here is where Yogananda wrote Autobiography of a Yogi, right here in Encinitas. And I, um, I picked up Autobiography of a Yogi and I read it. And... Um, it answered all the questions that, I, that until then hadn't been able to be answered. And I got inspired um, to try meditation. And I started to, um, another thing that was really helpful to me is I started reading some of the books by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And, it's, and what I learned was <clears throat> the physiology of meditation, what's happening in the brain and in the body. And I realized that I, meditating for five minutes was never going to get me to meditation proper. So when I started to understand what the body goes through and how some of the meditation techniques in particular in, in Kriya Yoga physiologically start to calm the mind, calm the breath, calm the heart rate, calm the nervous system, then the body can start to relax. And then the thoughts in the mind slow down. So it was interesting to me to, to use the mind to extinguish the mind. I thought that was a really interesting concept. And so I started going beyond the mind when I learned what was happening in my body and how to make it happen consistently. And again, like this idea of using the mind to calm the mind, I thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. And so once the mind is calm, 
then there's access to what's beyond it because then I'm, I'm seeing my own consciousness more as a witness. And there's this space between Chris, what I think Chris is and the consciousness that's beyond Chris. What you just said, we could hold a whole weekend seminar unpacking it. It's profound. So let me just try to unpack it a little bit with you. And if those of you that are listening are my weekly lawnmower guy just showed up. So we're going to go with this um, part of life. I think you can still hear, hear us. So just wanted to throw that out there. Um, I don't think we realize, number one, how much stress and strain and trauma we carry in our bodies. And that makes everything freeze up. It keeps us from functioning in an optimal way. So part of how meditation works, it's a de-stressing process. It's a letting go. It is sort of healing the nervous system at some level. And once the nervous system is relaxed and in a more natural state, then these higher states of consciousness really come quite natural. God, the experience of God is supposed to be a natural experience. It becomes unnatural because our nervous systems are so stressed and overwhelmed. So I, I like what you said that it's going through that process. It's, you didn't use this term, but it's sort of de-stressing or unstressing. Mm. Yes, and we're also um, in our modern society, we're conditioned to be in this fight or flight mode constantly. Absolutely. The body is producing chemicals and hormones, drugs, essentially. Like that, adrenaline. That we get addicted to. Yes. Even if we want to be calm and we want the drama in our life to settle down, and it does for a minute, we're still not okay. Right. Because we know that something's going to happen that's going to mess it all up. And that's the difference between us and animals. Animals can run from a predator. Once the threat's gone, they can eat food, sleep. They can do whatever they want. I believe we have all these strange illnesses now, you know, autoimmune disorders, GI. We have more diseases now than ever. And doctors really can't put their finger on what they are. I believe it's it's the endocrine system, it's the nervous system just constantly being on high alert. And I think that understanding how to regulate ourselves will take care of a, a lot of the health issues that we experience. I absolutely agree. You know, again, one of the things I say to people is that we don't go to God as angels, we go to God as human beings. Mm -hmm. And any true healthy spiritual path it's not just about transcending, but it's also about creating a lifestyle where you go from you, you, instead of operating from the amygdala, the fight or flight part of the brain, you go to a different part of your brain. It's about taking care of your nervous system and your body, not in some sort of narcissistic self-love, but in the sense of creating a whole nervous system, because again, that's what opens us up to the divine. So I, I'm with you all the way. The other thing that you said that really caught me is going beyond the mind. And I'll just say what I think that is, at least for me, and I'd like you to comment on that. When I teach people to meditate, 
I tell them, don't try to quiet the mind. That's like wrestling with a pig. Two things happen. You get dirty and the pig has a good time. <laughs> but if, you're, if, if you have a good technique and you're practicing, what begins to happen is there's silence alongside the busy mind. There's peace alongside the tension. But the more you meditate, the more the peace, the more the silence grows. And then you really do transcend the mind. Can you say a little bit about that in your own experience? Well, there's, um, there's, it, it creates perspective. It, it's a point of reference. And so yes. when you start to experience little bits of this, like you said, they are side by side. Like, oh, here's peace. Wow, that feels, that's pretty nice. And then there's the rest of my life. And I, I, they're almost like on a scale. And the, the more you meditate, the more one starts to outweigh the other. It's a great metaphor. Go on, keep going. That's a great metaphor, the mm -hmm. scales. Keep going. And what I find is the more time I spend in the peace, as you know, I, I, I run a few different organizations. That's a lot of stress, right? People would say, oh, that's a lot of stress. I'm actually experiencing much less stress and I'm doing 10 times more. And what I find is that that peace increases my bandwidth to, to just deal. It also helps me understand how people are wired. And so I used to say, I'm a terrible manager. I can't stand managing people. It, it, it's, it's, it's nonsense. It's just too much. It's not my thing. What's interesting now is it is my thing. And I actually enjoy managing people. I enjoy sharing with them what I've gone through and, it, and it's not hard. Anyone can do it. it, it it's just a perspective. If we don't have perspective, we're not able to really see where we're at. It's kind of like um, <clears throat> I do a lot of uh, uh, backpacking and, and I've done mountaineering and I've done these things and you, you use maps and a compass. And the most important thing to know when you're navigating in the wilderness is not where you're going. You need to know where you are. And when you, when you know where you are, that's your point of reference. And then understanding where you're going becomes clear. Then mm -hmm. you can find the, find the route. And so um, I've found that the more peaceful I become, the more capacity I have to serve, the more energy I have to, 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 to well, med meditation also improves focus and concentration. So now when I work, I'm actually working. I'm not like working and then looking at Facebook and doing all this, these different things and getting distracted. So the distractions are manageable. I'm able to focus more and I'm able to just come to situations from, you, you start to become established in that piece. And so then when chaotic things come at me, it's just like, oh, it's, it's, it's more information. I'm just able to see it as information. It's like, oh, that needs my attention or, oh, that's not my stuff. That's their stuff, right? So I'm able to just get clear on how, what's required of me to respond, respond appropriately, I think is a good way to say it. It's, yeah, I think that's fantastic. What I, what I've experienced in my own life is that that kind of intuition, knowing how to respond. If, when I first really, you know, sort of 
did my deep dive into the spiritual life. I thought it was all about just esoteric, you know, transcendental experiences. And that is a part of it. But that intelligence that runs the universe also helps to direct us in very specific situations. We just kind of know how to manage ourselves, how to manage a problem, what, what we need to do next. It just, it's an intuition, it's a flow of consciousness. And I believe it's the same consciousness that runs the whole universe, that when we're meditating and we have that sense of interior calm and we're open, it flows through us and helps us in not just, again, esoteric ways, but concrete ways. Yeah, practical ways. So, yeah, yes. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna switch it up just a little bit, but you'll see how it's connected. And and I love this, I'm loving this conversation, Chris. I feel like I'm having a conversation with a with a spiritual brother. I'm I'm loving it. Um there is a tendency in a lot of what I call spirituality, the marketplace of spirituality that it's about, you know, my experience of God, my enlightenment, my, 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 my. And one of the things I liked about what you do in your life is that you are serving other people too. Mm. You know, there's a, a line by Jesus. He says, the measure you give will be the measure you receive, pressed down and overflowing. Now, we have to balance that with taking care of ourselves and, and grounding ourselves. I like the fact that the first two or three hours of every day belongs to you. Mm -hmm. Can you just say something about how, where this sense of service, you have these not-for-profit programs, you're, you're, you're empowering people, and you have a, a, a healthy, robust vision. They have it in 50 states and 35 countries. Can you talk about the connection between your, your spiritual practice, your interior life, and this outreach? Sure. It, it starts small. So when I started to get free from all these difficulties in my life, right, I wanted to share that with other people. I think it's a natural it's almost a natural expression of gratitude. It's like, I, I've received this. It's been really helpful. Let me, let me share that with other people. And I think that what happens is if you make that part of your life, it, it scales. It just scaling. It is just growth is a natural part of life. You know, um, trees grow as tall as they can grow. You know, tomato plants grows to, to as big and as healthy as they can be. And I think that with the work we do, it, it's the same, you know, it just ends up growing. There's a momentum, like, like you mentioned before. And so what I've found is when I get, when I'm not spending my time focusing on myself and my problems, I have a lot of extra time. <laughs> what am I going to do with that time? Well, for me, I've wanted to build something and I have a trade. I, I started out um, as an automotive technician in 1997. So I learned how to fix cars. I've had an apprentice program in my auto repair shop since 2014. So I've learned how to hand this knowledge down to others. I also see how, it, how important it is for our world because 
we use automobiles as transportation. That's our mobility. That's how we get around. And what's happening is we don't have enough people replacing the jobs where, where people are retiring from the trades. And I believe that we've, as a society, we've put the emphasis on college and everybody needs to go to college and everyone needs a degree and everyone needs you know, a white collar job or whatever. And what happened without us really knowing it is we created this huge vacuum in the, in the skilled labor trades. And we're seeing it now. There's a car dealership in, in my market that has a hundred car backlog. They're like three months booked out on work. They, they can't take. So that what that means for the consumer is, is that if you want an oil change on your car, you might not be able to get it for three months. And this is going to increase. So there's a, there's a huge need for skilled labor to come back into our workforce. There are plenty of amazing jobs. Uh, auto mechanics can make a lot of money. Uh, it's, not, it's very common for an automotive technician to make a six-figure income. And that is enough to support your family. That's enough to buy a home. That's enough to become a productive, engaged member of society. So there's, there's a responsibility I have as a business owner and as a leader in my industry that I, I need to do something about that. And part of that is educating um, the public. Part of that is finding people that wouldn't have an opportunity and giving them an opportunity. So that's kind of one side of the coin. The other side is, is I've been through a personal transformation of my, myself. I know what it takes to go from being filled with fear, full of despair, no hope, everything's happening to me, to really the opposite of that. And it's not hard. It just takes time and it takes dedication and it takes putting your attention on it. And so I know how to do both. So why not combine them to not only help people recover, not only help people live a better, more balanced, more fulfilling life and give them an opportunity to come into an industry where there is very, very high demand for skilled labor. There are great jobs. And why, why not? Um, that just became a part of what I do. Let me just say what I think is there's so many wonderful levels to what you're doing. And I connect this to God, quote unquote, that by teaching veterans, formerly incarcerated people or whomever that you, you train, you are making the love of God very, very real and concrete in an empowering way. Does that make sense? Sure. You know, um, yeah, you are, it's just a tremendous real time concrete service that you are providing people so that they can support their families, so that they can have a life of dignity, right. which is a foundation for growing spiritually. So I just, I admire so much what you're doing and just give you a lot of kudos. You are making God's presence very palpable in people's lives, whether they label it that way or not. You are incarnating, embodying love. That's what it's all about. Yeah. yeah and this vision did come through meditation. You know, um, this training model that, that 
I've brought to the marketplace wasn't something I could conceive in my mind because it's never been done. Um, this is one of a kind. This is the first of its kind. And th this, I believe, was divinely inspired. This whole thing just flowed out of me without me thinking about it. But it, fl so, it flowed. It flowed from you. It flowed through you, but not from you. Right. When that sort of thing happens, there's a responsibility again. And I, and I remember talking to a, a friend of mine that I really trust. I said, because it came through, it, it flashed in my mind in meditation, 50 states, 35 countries by 2035. I'm like, what is this? And I, and I told my friend, I said, why me? And he just looked at me and said, well, why not you? And so I, I just do the next indicated step. And then the doors open, the connections are made, the people, the right people show up. And so I know I'm doing the work I'm supposed to be doing because it's not stressful. It, it, I, I'm completely detached from the outcome. If, if it becomes this worldwide organization that's amazing, great. I, I'm only doing what I think I'm supposed to do. Well, you know, Mother Teresa had a line that I think applies exactly. She says, God doesn't call us to be successful necessarily, but faithful. Mm -hmm. Do what you're called to do. Right. And, and really, God, the divine, the higher power does the rest beyond what we can even imagine. Yeah. So a couple more questions, and we'll move towards a conclusion. And when we were emailing each other back or forth, one of the lines that you used that I really liked, you said, only love is real. Can you say what you mean by that? What I mean by that is, again, when, when I peel back all the layers, that's what's there. And, and I don't mean this um, childish teenage love i mean love as an understanding as a state of being that is just open it's pure it's simple it feels safe and secure and i guess that's what i'm calling love and that's what i'm calling for me what i find is the reality at the end of the string <laughs> It's the other end of the fear love continuum, right? I can go towards fear or I can go towards openness and trust and light, whatever, you know, whatever words you have for it. But um, yeah, that just seems to me what as a human being, I'm able to conceptualize and experience and understand this idea of love. And it's unconditional because, you know, a lot of these sac sacred texts ask us to see God in everything, everyone, all of creation. So if it's all a manifestation of God, it helps me to understand how I'm supposed to show up in the world. And I think it's really important. I don't know if we mentioned this, but we need to apply what we learn. If we don't apply, it's just junk sitting in the mind, doing nothing. 
I've heard this, uh, this is common, is uh, knowledge is power. And one of my mentors says, knowledge is potential power. It becomes power when we have the courage to do something, to take a step into the dark, right? So it's through application of these spiritual principles that led me to this idea that the ultimate reality is this thing I call love. Do I even understand it? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. Maybe that's another conversation, but it seems that way to me. Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, the Christian scriptures say this. Yogananda says this. A lot of the world's mystics say this, that God is love. Which means that it's probably impossible to define love because it's ultimately impossible with the mind to define God. We use these concepts as pointers, but they're just pointers. Right. They're the map. They're not the reality. But when they say that God is love or love is God, my sense of that is that, and I think this goes to what you're saying at the bottom of the string, is that if we peel away all of the layers of illusion and delusion, what we find is that the underlying reality to everything, the underlying reality to creation, to the universe, the reality, the really real is what we call love. Mm -hmm. uh, and we go into fear because we've lost the sense of love. But all of the prayer, all of the meditation is really about knowing that at, at the deepest level, we are inseparable from love. We are inseparable from the divine, that we are a spark of God, that we are love at the deepest level. Mm -hmm. and, and that's part of what the whole, that's really the essence of the spiritual life is that rediscovery of what Yogananda called the self with a capital S, what a lot of Jewish mystics will say, the spark of the divine, mm -hmm. that that is who we are and who we are is really love. You know, when our hearts, when we, when we can get rid of all the stress and tension and constriction around the hearts and the heart opens, it's just love. And that love is there was a Catholic priest who was also a scientist, Tilhard de Chardin, said that love is the most powerful force in all of creation and the least understood. Yeah. And so I think what your life really is, is a testimony to love. And it's clear to me that in ever deepening ways, you were just sur surrendering to that one real reality, the really real, which is love. So to end on this note, our close dear friend Swami Nirvanananda told me that you and your wife were getting ready to do the Camino. Yes. You want to say a little bit? You are a brave human being. My wife wants to do that. I have said to her, honey, you have my a thousand percent support. I can't do it with you. So do you want to say a little bit about the Camino and why you're doing that? Um, yeah. Um, our We were actually invited by um, our our friends, um, they've wanted to do the Camino Santiago. We're only doing a section of it. I think we're going to do maybe 90 miles or something. Um, so for me and for us, we're just like, yeah, we love to travel. Um, um, so we just said yes to an opportunity. 
but as we start to you know investigate and study we're starting to understand like what this pilgrimage means to people and it means something uh different to everyone they say you know walk your own camino and um so we are going with open hearts open minds and we're just open to a new experience so um are we doing it for a religious thing no we're not i think our friends are and i don't know i haven't even really talked to them about that um but we're going because there's a spiritual experience to be had in any situation so i'm going with this idea that yes i i love being in nature i love hiking i love um being on foot i do some of it, it's just an amazing experience uh for me i really like it so i'm just going open and uh i haven't over researched i want to leave some some surprise that's wonderful do you know how many miles the whole camino is do you have an idea of that well there are many different routes uh you can go from france you can go from portugal you can go from all over the place. So I don't even know, like all the different routes, is, it's thousands and thousands of miles. There's a fellow that lives at the Assisi Institute, uh, Herb, I don't know if you met him when you were visiting. Um, he's been in 12-step programs for well over 40 years and probably, and he's a Kriya bond, does Kriya yoga. And probably, I don't know, four or five years ago, he did from France all the way down to to Spain, he did the whole blessed thing, he and another friend. And yeah, I think that's like he, 500 miles. Yeah, and he was he was in his 70s when he did it, nice. uh, early 70s. So God bless him and God bless you. I'm glad you're doing that. Thank you. So we'll, we will end. I just want to say, Chris, how much I appreciated this. I think we could go on for a long period of time. And maybe when you get back from the Camino and sometime in not too distant future, we can do part two of this because we just really skimmed the surface of, I, of where I know we can go. I just, again, want to thank you and commend you and just say that you are a bright light in the world and you're an inspiration to me. I just want you to know that I mean that sincerely. Wow. The other thing I'll just say for those of you that are listening is please give this a like, uh, subscribe and send it to your friends. So again, thank you for joining us and God bless everyone. Namaste. Thank you, Yishadas. Thank you. Thank you. It's Namaste. been a really wonderful time. Namaste. Namaste. Chris, I would like you to be able to mention your not-for-profit uh, work and companies that you run, organizations, and how can people contact you, get more information, etc. Great. Um, our the technical training nonprofit here in the United States is called APAC ATI. So it's APACATI.org. So there's a contact form. You can just fill it out. It comes directly to me and then uh, I will contact you. We're looking for volunteers. Of course, uh, we're looking for funding and we're also looking to build a network of student referrals um from uh you know military transition programs veterans organizations uh re-entry services and also people in recovery so um you know if you know someone that's gone through uh the recovery process and is ready to get engaged in the workforce uh please 
um, go ahead and contact me. We're, we're building this out nationwide, so we need to uh, know as many people as we can. The other work we're doing in Africa is apacafrica.org, so A-P-A-C, africa.org. Uh, there's also a contact form there. There's a way to make a donation. Um, right now, we're doing computer training. Um, we haven't established our automotive program there yet, so right now we're training on uh, marketable uh, IT skills, computer programming, web design, graphic design, these types of things. So that's the work that's going on there. We're also going to move into agriculture. That's a big part of life in Uganda. So um, those are ways that you could uh, get involved. So, And how did they contact you again? Just through our website is the best way. There's a phone number you can call that comes directly to me. And also there's a contact us uh, button on the website, apacati.org. Just hit that, fill it out. I'll get right to you. Perfect. I'm glad we could bring that into the conversation. Again, thank you. Namaste.